Welcome to Eat Blog Talk, where food bloggers come to get their fill of the latest tips, tricks, and insight into the world of food blogging. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll provide you with the tools you need to add value to your blog, and we'll also ensure you're taking care of yourself because food blogging is a demanding job. Now, please welcome your host, Megan Porta. Food bloggers, don't forget to check out the food blogging forum style community that we started over at forum.eatblogtalk.com. Finally, there's one place that we can all convene and talk and that isn't scattered all over Facebook. Here are the things that I am loving about it. It is free. It also allows for categorized discussions on all food blogging topics And there's a category for sharing successes, aka self-promotion. So no more holding back about discussing your big wins and things that you're promoting. Also, everything is in one single spot. So no hopping around from group to group. And there's an amazing opportunity to network and really get to know your fellow food bloggers in a single place. So come join the discussions that are going on over at forum.eatblogtalk.com. And I hope you enjoy this as much as I do. Don't forget forum.eatblogtalk.com. Okay, food bloggers, have you heard of Flowdesk, the new big email marketing rage? This is an amazing new option for managing your email subscriber list. It is super easy to use and it comes with gorgeous, intuitive drag and drop templates. And Flowdesk does not charge based on number of subscribers. So your monthly rate will stay the same from month to month. Everyone pays $38 a month or use my affiliate link to get 50% off and pay only $19 a month. You guys, this is a fraction of the price of other email service providers, and you'll be blown away by the beautiful and intuitive templates waiting for you inside. Visit eatblogtalk.com forward slash resources to grab your link. Flowdesk, the stunning new option for email marketing. What's up, food bloggers? Welcome to Eat Blog Talk, the podcast made for food bloggers seeking value for their businesses and their lives. Today, Bethany Smith from foodblogusability.com and I will be having our third conversation on Eat Blog Talk about how people use the internet to find recipes. Bethany helps food bloggers by taking a deep dive into the hows and whys of communicating and connecting with their followers. She focuses on how to make blogs user-friendly. Bethany has a background in web design, digital content, marketing, and management. This conversation is going to be revealing, Bethany, I have a feeling. But first, give us your third fun fact about yourself. Yes. So it's hard three times to come up with a fun fact. <laughs> I know. Well, even one, it was, I'm like, I don't, I just, I don't think that way about myself. But my fun fact now is that I am kind of into weather, like weather reports and all of that stuff. Like, I wouldn't say my full weather geek, but I definitely like track the highs and lows. And I mean, not every day, but like know if there's going to be a record. Um, if a storm is coming in, I'm the one to tell all my family, like you need to prepare. There's going to be a snowstorm. There's going to be a rainstorm. Now, do you just track your own location or do you kind of like look around the country or just specifically for Portland? Um, it's mostly for Portland. And yeah, which 
we don't actually get a lot of extreme weather here, so it's kind of a little boring, <laughs> a little boring. <laughs> which is probably why when stuff happens, I'm really into it. But actually, my first blog that I wrote was weather related. This was like 2001 or 2002. And it's when I worked for the newspaper here for their website. And blogs were just becoming a thing. And so they were kind of like, well, if people want to write a blog on something, you can do that. And I was like, I'll write one on the weather. And it was called Bethany's Barometer. And <laughs> <laughs> it was just like, but it wasn't, it wasn't like forecasting because I'm not a meteorologist or anything. It was just kind of like, oh, these are records we might break this week or fall is coming up. That starts on the 21st or like all these things. I don't know. But that is super funny. And I think that that's a great fun fact to see you can pull stuff out even if it's the third time around. Yeah. <laughs> So I think when I'm old and retire, that's probably going to be my like, <laughs> like putting up all these weather stations and yeah, tracking it around the country and stuff. And like Instead of bird watching, you are going to be a weather fanatic. Exactly. And the National Weather Service has these trainings, which I've not done yet, where you can be a weather spotter and they teach you how to like. Whoa, like, I did not know that. Snow correctly so you can report it for your location and like what size hail Oh my you know, gosh. like all these things that so they can hilarious. get reports from like around just citizens reporting. So So what does this say about you, Bethany, that you're so in tune with the weather? I mean, there's gotta be something if we dive deep into it that, you know, like speaks something about your personality. Hmm, I'm gonna have to give that some thought. We'll have to dissect that. Well, I think some of it relates to this is that I'm just into like data and statistics. I mean, you know, like figuring out, is this a record high? Has it ever done this before? And like reporting all of that. So, Well, you are a lot, you're very fact-based, which makes you really good at what you do. And that kind of ties into what we're talking about today. So great transition. <laughs> So let's chat about user intent and wants in regards to recipes. You did some research recently, Bethany, and the results from that research could be really enlightening, I think, for food bloggers. I found it fascinating to read through your report, so I think others will find it really fascinating as well. So start by telling us why you decided to do this research and also give us some insights about the demographics. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I put a survey together. It was actually the first week that we were stuck at home for the coronavirus stuff. And it's something I've been thinking about for a long time because, you know, I think we all have these things we kind of think maybe are true or we're not sure how our users are actually experiencing something on our site. Maybe we sort of know, but there's not a lot of data that we have access to. So we've been thinking about doing this for a while. And it's just hard to make business decisions if you don't kind of have some facts in front of you, right? So just get, you know, hopefully now we have this and can make more confident decisions about things. Um, so I just put it together one afternoon and it was a Google form and put it on Facebook and was kind of like, I don't know if anybody will take it, right? Because this is not totally the thing people just respond to, but actually people responded really well. And several of my friends and family were like, oh, I took it. I shared it. I'm like, oh, I guess this is like going to be a thing. So um, I posted it in a mom's group and I shared through email and text with a few more family and friends. And so I ended up with 65 responses. 
And the demographics were spread through the age range fairly evenly. It was about 50% under 40 and 50% over 40. And there were even two respondents that marked that they were over 75. So oh, whoa. We do have the whole age range. Yeah, whole gamut. Up. There were people in, in everywhere. And it was about 90, I think 92% women. And then... I did just want to mention that since this was mainly shared on Facebook, it is really based on people who are, you know, have access to the internet, who are already on it and using it and engaging with things. So it's probably not like accurate for the entire population, but it is accurate for the people who are likely to visit your food blog anyway. So yeah, I love that you got such a great response. You just kind of put it out there like, hmm, I wonder if anyone will bite and Wow, 65 people and people passed it around. They must have thought it was really interesting. So that's really cool. So mostly women, right? 90 something percent women. And I love your age range, 18 to over 70. That's crazy. Over 75, actually. Over 75. Wow. Okay. (laughs) That's awesome. So is there anything more about demographics you'd like to cover before we move on? Um, I think that... Yeah, clears it up. And then I do, I'll mention right here too that I am uh, making this survey available through my website, foodblogusability.com, and that'll be in the um, show notes too. And so it's a freebie. So in exchange for your email, um, you can get this survey. So we're probably just going to talk about things more generally and the way my brain works, I don't remember like specific numbers as well as just it was about 50%. So if you really want to deep dive into it, go get the actual report there and it'll have all of that. Perfect. Well, before we dig into how users interact specifically with recipes, what did you discover about how people who love recipes interact with food bloggers on social media? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I asked a few questions just to kind of figure out like if people were even familiar with food bloggers and how they were interacting with them. And so 84% of people said that they are familiar with the term food blogger. So that kind of tells you where where we're at with that. And then 59% of people said that they do follow food-related social media accounts. And then I also asked what kind. And 58% said they do follow smaller food influencers or food bloggers. And then 13%, so larger corporations, and 29% said both. So what did they say about why they were following food bloggers? Did they say certain reasons? Um, Yeah, so they said it was for inspiration and because it's fun and entertaining. And that was an open-ended question. So some of the responses were pretty (laughs) funny about just, you know, it breaks up my feet. I don't have to listen to politics. Um. (laughs) Yeah, in your appendix section, I actually read through that this morning. It is super funny reading through those because people wrote entirely different responses. Some of them were like literally made me laugh out loud. So (laughs) I don't know if you're going to provide that, but I recommend it for a good laugh. (laughs) Yeah, I do. So yeah, that'll be in there in the appendix. We'll have all of the open-ended responses. But I went through those and um, figured out what people were commenting about the most. Yeah. So people do it mainly for inspiration. So following on Facebook and probably Instagram, they do it mainly for inspiration, break up the chatter about 
serious topics and fun, entertaining, but not necessarily for finding recipes, correct? Yeah. Okay. And we can, we'll get into that a bit more later too, because I asked some questions about like where people go to find recipes and why and all of that sort of stuff. So. Okay. So there are two main components here, how people use recipes and what they want to see within a recipe post. So let's start by talking about how the respondents of your study use online recipes. Talk to us about what they are loving and what they are not loving. So yeah, this was also open-ended. So they said that they love three things really stood out, uh, variety, the convenience of it, and that's quick and easy to find. So a lot of comments about they can find any sort of recipe and any sort of variation and that it's convenient, like it's on it's on their phone, they always have it. That kind of goes with the quick and easy too, but you know, they can just search for whatever they want right there. And so that was what they liked. And then what they did not like was that the blog post is too long or it's hard to find the recipe, which I know we've all heard that before. And they also didn't like the multiple Multiple similar options, which is, I mean, that's the reverse of the variety and what people like. So it's a double-edged sword, right? Contradictory a little bit. Yeah. I mean, people love that there's so much out there, but it also just makes it hard to find what you want. And then too many ads on the blog post. So I think that too isn't necessarily about too many. It's about how intrusive they are, that if it makes it hard to find to find the recipe card or find what they want. Because a lot of blogs and websites have advertising and people don't complain about it all the time. But I think for some food blogs, the way it's set up, it does make it hard to find the recipe. So that's kind of a tricky one right now because you know our revenue is dipping with everything that's going on. So people want ads, obviously, as they're scrambling to figure out how to diversify and make more money in other ways. But I mean, there's something to that that the user is saying. And I saw that overwhelmingly. People were like, too many ads. Ads are intrusive. They get in the way. They're annoying. So this is a huge hindrance for our user. So how do we balance that? How do we have ads on our site but not so turn our user off that they're never going to come back? Well, I think part of the thing with food blogs that's hard is – One of the questions I asked in here too was, what are you looking for when you're searching? And overwhelmingly, people said just a recipe or just a recipe plus a few facts. So I think people really do just want that recipe card as opposed to say you're going to look for a news article. Imagine you're looking at a news article and right away you're getting into the kind of meat of that article at the very top, right? So for a food blog, it doesn't really work that way. You have to scroll down and find the recipe card or use the jump to recipe button. Um, but there's this extra step. And I think people see ads as a hindrance to getting to what they want, if that makes sense. Yeah. And so I think one way is using the jump to recipe button and people really like that. They love that. I asked about that here too. And then making your recipe card really stand out so people can easily find it. Um, I've mentioned this before too, I think on our last one, but I've just noticed it increasingly that the recipe card doesn't stand out. So if you're scrolling or if you scroll up and down, which I do sometimes, you know, I'll be like, oh, I get to this part and I want to see how they explain how to make something. I'm going back and forth and it's really hard to see where the recipe card starts on a lot of blogs. So I think that type of thing, like you can still have ads, but just make sure that people 
don't feel like they're so intrusive that they can't access the recipe card. And you can work with your ad network to minimize ads and to relocate them. I just did that recently on my homepage. I had a few food bloggers just kind of look at my homepage and give me feedback. And overwhelmingly, they were like, "Uh, you have way too many ads on your homepage. You need to get rid of those. And I guess I didn't realize you could just kind of pick and choose where things went, but you can. They can easily take things out of recipe card. Like if you have multiple ads in a recipe card, they can help you with that. They can take things off your homepage. So you can work with your ad network to kind of fine tune. And I love that you mentioned that again about the recipe card being not very visible because we talked about this before you and I have, and I think you mentioned it on the previous episode, but since we've talked about it, now it's kind of a an annoyance of mine when I'm looking through a recipe post of someone else. I'm like, where is the recipe? And then I don't think that was really apparent to me before, but now it's really kind of annoying because you're, like you said, you scroll down and you're like, okay, where, where is it? Then you have to scroll back up and, uh, like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's kind yeah. of frustrating. So, what are some things that people can do just to make it stand out? Like colors, fonts, what are, what's your best advice? Yeah, I mean, I think colors. You know, on some of the more popular recipe plugins, they give you the ability to do this pretty easily. So I think either having a border around it that's a different color or the top, um, I don't know what you call it, just the top bar when you're introducing the recipe in the recipe card, um, a different color there just really helps it stand out, you know, to make it apparent where where that's starting. Because I think people do scroll back and forth a lot or when they're scrolling down, if you're not using Jump to Recipe, um, even some jump to recipe buttons, I notice people seem to be having it not quite go to the recipe. And I have noticed that too <laughs> with some of my own posts, but I don't know why it does that. That's something I need to figure out. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't looked into, into that, so I'm not sure. Um, but then I still have to scroll a little bit for it. So I think just a color, like the ones I see I like the most are where they have a color that is different than the white background and so it's just very apparent where where that is I mean I think honestly if all food blogs just did that that would solve a lot and then people don't like the pop-up I know they bring in more revenue but there are a lot of comments about the pop-up videos and pop-up ads and that um yeah those are big revenue producers so it's really hard to get rid of those but there are ways around and you can do testing too I mean you can request from your ad network to test and just kind of see what works. So something I found interesting in your report was that a lot of people didn't know what a jump to recipe button was. What do you think about that? Oh, that, I mean, that doesn't surprise me. I mean, I was surprised so many people said they did know. I think it's like 50, 50%-ish said that they did know. And basically everybody who said that they did know, they did, they did love it. I think there were one or two that said, well, I don't, I know, but I don't really use it. But of the people who knew what it was, um, they, they loved, it. loved it. Yeah. So do you think that for those people that didn't know what it was, do we need to make it stand out? Because it's pretty obvious, like jump to recipe. I mean, you can't get much more clear than that. Maybe they're just not seeing it. Or what do you think? Yeah, I think on a lot of blogs, people don't see it. Some bloggers don't make it as apparent Um. I mean, some don't make it as apparent on purpose. <laughs> some just don't make it apparent because, you know, it's just not, they haven't really thought about doing that as much. And I think 
yeah, I think people just skim over it. A lot of people probably start at the top and just think, oh, I have to scroll down. It's not something that they're aware to even look for. But I have heard, I think there's even one respondent in here, and I've heard it elsewhere too, that said, I won't even use blogs now that don't have a jump to recipe button. I mean, that's like a really, <laughs> for someone to say that, like, I think food bloggers really need to be aware for somebody to say, I'm not even going to use a blog that doesn't have that. That's a huge, <laughs> That is huge. be aware of this. So right. as more people become aware of it. I think most people are on board with it. There was a while where I think people were kind of like, oh, I don't know, maybe I should, because they wanted that scrolling and the ad views. But I think that most people are on board or most bloggers are. So let's talk through some more of those points under how respondents use recipes. We talked about some frustrations. What are some other points you had under that? Okay, so I also asked asked some fairly similar questions in, in different ways to see what people would say. So I asked if you search for summer Greek salad, how likely do you think it is that what you click for the page will provide what you're looking for? And over half selected, it seems like 50-50. So, you know, that's not great. Like you kind of are hoping, I mean, some of that's on Google or a search engine, but some of it I think is making sure we title things. Um, title our blog posts appropriately. So your example was summer Greek salad and 50%, almost 50% said they just weren't confident that they would be getting what they clicked on. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. So it was 50-50 that they thought. And then, then I asked, using your imagination and previous experience, what do you think some of the frustrations are once you've clicked on it? So this is once they're on your blog recipe. And what they said first was that there'd be too many pop-up ads or too much content and they couldn't find the recipe. But then what they said was that it just wouldn't be what they wanted, that they wouldn't have the ingredients in the recipe or that they'd be sent to an incorrect link or where you have to click again. Um, so I guess I'll talk through those three. So not, not what I wanted was just, I mean, that's just going to happen sometimes, right? Like they think summer Greek salad means one thing and you made a recipe that's kind of something else or whatever with that. And then don't have the ingredients. I, several people listed this in a couple of different areas. Just, you know, that food bloggers, sometimes they feel like use fancier ingredients that they don't have. And I mean, I think that's fine for a food blogger. You just need to know like your niche and just be aware that the general public may not have some of these things, you know. And then sent an incorrect link, which that's probably more on Google, that part. But then s several people mentioned like finding another list of recipes and they didn't like that. I think they wanted mm, like a roundup. Yeah, a roundup. OK. Um, and especially if then it went to someone else's blog. And I'm not sure it's always a, like a roundup that they were talking about, but I think that would definitely qualify. But I'm surprised in that 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 would be what's pulling into Google. So. That's the thing with these open-ended ones. You don't totally know <laughs> right, exactly. what, what people are saying. But yeah, I think just be aware of that. And that's one thing I've thought about a lot, that food bloggers tend to title their post with whatever the recipe is. But sometimes what they're talking about in the bulk of the post is 
maybe is related to the recipe. And I'm not just talking about like a narrative story, but maybe it really is more how to, and you could title it how to make, how to make a dinosaur cake like I'm doing next week for my son, instead of just titling it the recipe of like chocolate cake, right? That way the search intent and what they're finding in the headline maybe matches better than just using the recipe as the title. There's some gray area there though, because like, how would you know when I, and I do that sometimes, but it's just more of a feeling. Like I feel like I need to put how to in this. I think I have that for a cupcake recipe and I don't even know why I did it because I don't normally do that. Or if it's like cooking instructions or like I have some random cooking tips on my site, like how to cut an avocado or whatever. So I will actually put that in the title, but for just like a plain old recipe, you wouldn't necessarily need how to. So how do you figure out where and when to put that? Yeah. I mean, I think some of it is a feeling and some of it is, I mean, there's no rule for it, (laughs) but if you're really diving into something, especially if it's a little more complicated, probably, you know, more in the baking area, more things there would probably qualify but, you know, not exclusively. So just, you know, think through that as an option because sometimes it's not, if I'm the person searching, it's not always that I need a recipe. Sometimes it's that I need to learn how to do it. And a lot of food bloggers are taking a lot of time to explain how to actually make that recipe. Um, So I think that, you know, you just got to figure it out. That's maybe something that you can throw in because then when, user is clicking over from Google and, you know, instead of just a recipe, because that's what people said they wanted was just a recipe. But if your title says how to make ABC cookie, then they'll know is how to make it plus a recipe, you know? Sure. Yeah. That's a good point about the baking because baking, I don't know, like the cake you used for an example, that's more about how to almost build something you know, like it's not an exact recipe. I mean, it is, but it's also like putting it together and creating, I don't know, there's such a weird fine line there I'm trying to think through, but I see what you're saying. Yeah. You just got to kind of figure out for yourself and see what works. But um, well, like everyone's making sourdough bread, you know, this time. And so that's something that how to, because it's very like, I tried to do it and it's not going so well. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> you know, like that's something that has a lot of steps and is complicated. So that's the type of thing that would make more sense to say how to make sourdough bread than just sourdough bread recipe, because you can't really like do the recipe without <laughs> the complicated how. To yeah. Right. Maybe if it requires a lot of process shots, because we kind of get a feel for that. So maybe if it's, if you have a lot of process shots that are really needed, that could be like more of a how-to also. So I wanted to touch on, I thought it was really interesting that people, one of their hangups was that they thought coming to a food blog, they wouldn't have the ingredients. Because I always think food blogging makes things easier or simplifies things. And we don't use crazy fancy ingredients. At least I say the majority of us do not, like compared to a cookbook or a magazine. So that was really interesting to me because I, and I know I'm not alone in this, just tend to use really simple ingredients, but I see this as an opportunity too. So if people are seeing that as a hangup, maybe we can start 
providing alternatives or substitutions. And that's something really easy we could do just within the post, um, within the content, even within the recipe card too. But really interesting. Okay, so you're not a food blogger. Do you tend to have that same perception that we use, quote, fancy ingredients? Um, <laughs> maybe sometimes. So I think, I think there's a category of food bloggers who do, and especially in the more specialty diets that they're doing whole 30 or keto, or, I mean, that's kind of the whole thing with that is using, you know, maybe different ingredients than what generally people have been used to. Um, so I think that might be part of where it's coming from. I do think too, that people are probably more likely to search for recipes that they don't know that then may require more of a special ingredient. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like I already know how to make a hamburger or something, right? And like, I know you have recipes for peanut butter hamburgers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that was the whole thing. Megan likes to put peanut butter on her hamburgers. It's so good. <laughs> you know, but like I, I wouldn't really think to search for that if I – I can probably just figure out how to put peanut butter on my hamburger. <laughs> yeah. So I think some of those recipes that have more simple ingredients, maybe people aren't searching for, like they probably have a high search rate or whatever because there's so many people making it. But as far as like me individually, um, I don't know if I'd search yeah. for it. I, I hope I'm making I some hear sort you. of yeah. So the recipes I do search for more often would maybe be ones that have complicated things but I do think that Megan your like yours and several food bloggers do have really simple ingredients but some I mean it's probably 50 50 and like some people probably are getting introduced to food bloggers through more of a specialty you know they're like oh I want to start whole 30 and this is actually when I started following food bloggers too and I don't do whole 30 now really but you know, I was like, oh, I can try it. Let me kind of see what this is about. And somebody was like, we'll start following the Whole30 Instagram account, which is basically a takeover account, which means if you don't know, like different food bloggers come on there basically every week and do their content. So he's introduced to a lot of different people that way. But I think maybe that's how people are getting introduced to them more because they want to find out about a special diet or something like that. Mm, that's an interesting thought too. Yeah, people come in because of a really niche need and then they realize that there's actually a really broad array of recipes available. So I never thought about it like that, but that's a good perspective. So tell us, Bethany, how recipes are searched for. So there's a few different options. What are people mainly going to? Like what's their go-to when they want to search for a recipe? Mm-hmm. So this sort of surprised me, but then I'm like, I don't know why this should have surprised me. <laughs> but overwhelmingly, people are using Google to search for recipes. So I think there were only two people that said they don't use Google for that. And then Pinterest was next, which was about 59%. And then Facebook and Instagram were way, way lower. So 74% of people said they never search on on Facebook and then 83% said they never search on Instagram, which like so many food bloggers spend so much time on Instagram. <laughs> but I mean, the question was searching, specifically searching. And I think that for recipes, and I think that goes back to what we're 
we said at the very beginning about why people said they follow food bloggers, which is for inspiration and for kind of entertainment. So I think people see this a lot on Instagram where it's hard to get people to click over to your recipe, but people probably are like, oh, she's cooking that. I can make my variation of that or, you know, giving just different ideas or even um, I know some food bloggers use it more to just teach, like this is how to cook and people can see it visually in stories, Um, you know, so it's just, I think it's understanding intent and of how people use these different platforms and what they use them for, and then figuring out how to then monetize from there. Because if you're spending as much time as I know several food bloggers do on Instagram, you probably need to think about monetizing it in a different way than just getting clicks over to your website. It's really interesting. I look at my analytics quite a bit and yeah, I don't get a ton of clicks from Instagram. And I think that's probably true for a lot of us who are under the 10,000 number because that swipe up feature I know can add a lot, but um, but there is value over there too. I mean, it's about, like you said, community and inspiration and maybe getting to know your audience a little bit better. So there's value but you really need to think through if you do want to monetize that because you can get lost for hours every day in Instagram if you allow yourself to. Yeah, it's kind of addicting. Like, I mean, most of these social networks can be addicting if you start getting into it. But, That's the point, um, right? They want you to yeah. <laughs> get on and stay on, but they're fun. Yeah, but I think even people with the swipe up, I hear a lot of people saying they don't get you know, the traction as far as click-throughs to their recipes that they want. But I think some of it is because Instagram makes it so hard to leave the platform. But also, I think that's not necessarily why people are following you, right? They're not following for a specific recipe. They're following for entertainment or ideas. And like, I know there's some that I, I follow and I was following even before I really started working with food bloggers that you know, recipe I see them make or talk about sticks in my mind. And then six months later, I go to Google and I'll search for the recipe that they did. So um, there's, oh my gosh, I was just reading about some of this too. I think it's called like gray SEO or something where it is like that type of thing or where people, instead of sharing your recipe or your link just directly to a network, they copy and paste it to use later, to text to a friend or something like that. And that's not really traceable, like how people are sharing that way. That's something I have on my list to read more about because I think it's really interesting. That is interesting. So there's all, you know, I think Instagram is that way. You know, if you build this relationship with people, they probably are finding your recipes more ways than you realize. It's just, there's not a way to track some of that really, you know? Yeah. So, (laughs) I mean, it, Instagram really is about relationship building and community audience, just making those connections. So that's a really good point that you don't necessarily know. Like you mentioned seeing something months ago and then coming back and like, oh, I remember that recipe from person X. I'm going to go Google it. So yeah, you have no idea where they came. We have no idea that you went to Instagram six months ago and found them there. So that's intriguing. Um, Okay. Is there anything that we haven't covered under how your respondents use recipes online before we move on to what they are wanting on a recipe page? 
I think so. And then this, we hit on this before. Um, so I asked what type of food related info are you generally looking for? And people could pick more than one answer. So this will add up to more than a hundred probably, but um, 45% selected just a recipe. So that's about 50% said that that's what they're looking for. Another 30% selected just a recipe along with another option. So a total of 75% of people said that's what they're searching for summer all of the time. So that's 70% of people want just a recipe, like not all this other stuff. And I know food bloggers have a hard time with that because it's like, you know, for SEO, we have to write this stuff where the value of a food blogger is because we explain all this other stuff. And it's like, well, the people coming from Google or Pinterest searching that way, when they type in a recipe to the search bar, what they want is a recipe. And the jump to recipe button simplifies that. But I think each post is different. Like you have to kind of go case by case. And since I've taken a deep dive more into this in the recent year, like in the past year or so, I've really been more cognizant of it. Like I used to just like load everything up with as much text as I needed because of quote SEO purposes. But now I'm just, I'm a lot more careful. Like if there's a post that doesn't need process shots or explanation, like what is a, I don't know, like you could get so detailed, like what is a pancake? What is flour? You know, like that is not necessary all the time. Sometimes going into those details is, but just kind of taking each post and looking at it and really like figuring out whether or not the user needs all of that information. But yeah, 75% of people said that they are basically just coming for a recipe. That's pretty, I mean astounding. That's a huge number. Well, and I think going back to what I said about the title of it, like if you title your post and say it does have this whole thing about making pancakes and what type of flour to use and what the flour is and what pancakes actually are and all the different types of pancakes around the world. And it's like maybe then the title of that shouldn't just be like pancake recipe. Maybe it should be like a survey of pancakes around the world (laughs) or, you know, I mean, You know, so like, I think the more the title matches the, you know, the title and the meta description to match exactly what's in your post, as opposed to just the recipe, then that will sync up with the user intent. So they know what they're getting when they click. Yeah, that's a great point. I like that. Just thinking through from first click to all the way through what is in your post, what you put in the body and photos and everything included in there. And it's going to be different for each one. So I like that. Yeah. Feels like a lot of work. But <laughs> what I mean, you know, I think too, like there's just been this kind of like understood formula of you title your post what the recipe is. And that's not a rule, you know, <laughs> you should make it reflect more so what the content of your post is, not necessarily the recipe. And I think the more you comb through stuff that you kind of get a better feel for it, you know? Like you can't just like it's it's kind of a technique that you learn and you kind of feel it out and I know that's not technical at all, but a lot of it has to do with just like feeling it out in my experience. So we've talked a little bit about what respondents want on a recipe page. We talked about jump to recipe button. A lot of people don't know what it is, but the 
people that do know what that is, they really love it and they won't, <laughs> some of them won't even go to a site that doesn't have it. We talked a little bit about recipe videos, well, kind of the ads, but what about recipe videos within the content? Are people finding those valuable? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then I asked some questions about like videos and the like process shots and all of that. So with videos, I asked, how valuable do you find recipe slash food videos? And they I gave them four responses. And so two were mostly negative and two mostly positive. And 82% of people answered in the mostly negative category. So they do not find food videos um, helpful, valuable. Yeah. yeah, helpful or valuable. Um, 82%. That's a lot. And we spend a lot of time on videos. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, this was in context... I mean, I didn't, in the question, it wasn't in context of kind of like a food blog page, but in the context of my whole survey, that was what I was asking about. So clearly, like on YouTube, some of these things are very popular. Um, On Facebook, you know, some videos will go viral. But I think in the context of on a blog post about making a recipe, if somebody's actually trying to make the recipe, they overall don't find them valuable. And then if reading, so this goes more specifically to it, if reading a recipe on a blog webpage is a video to go along with the recipe helpful, and even more asked that way, 84% of people answered in the negative. And 34% said that a video to go along with a recipe is not at all helpful. 34%. Like that's <laughs> a lot. Over, yeah. Over half said it's sometimes helpful. And Okay, so I I just talked over you. 52% said it is only sometimes helpful. Yeah. Okay, so that makes sense to me because when you spelled it out like that, I mean, it's clearer in my mind. Like YouTube, yes, YouTube is valuable. That That is what it's for. Videos, people go there for videos. So it might be helpful on YouTube and it might do great on Facebook. But if people are solely coming to a blog post for a recipe. They don't necessarily want to watch video because a lot of videos are over a minute long and clicking on a jumped recipe button and getting down to the bottom takes like five seconds. So I don't know. I mean, that's it's alarming, but it's not. I mean, it surprised me. But then when you spell it out like that, it's like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I think if you are doing videos, if that's something you want to focus on, you need to really focus on putting them on YouTube and on Facebook and not thinking. I mean, I think you can add them to your blog post if you want, but don't expect to get very much traction from there. And don't worry about it a lot like, oh, people are really going to want it here. And, you know, like you're going to get a lot more bang for your buck putting it on YouTube or on Facebook especially and think about too like the things that are going to do well there are things that are kind of more entertaining because going back to why mm, yeah why people follow it's more for the entertainment or just for ideas so if it's a post i mean i think they didn't really say it but i think just learning too like if you wanted to do videos that were more teaching people how to cut vegetables or te- you know like you could take that but kind of have this idea that people are going to watch videos maybe for different reasons than just to actually make the recipe. Unless again, it's a more complicated recipe because that's the only time I watch videos like in the sourdough 
bread example, like getting my starter going and all that, I watched some videos because I'm like, wait, I don't <laughs> like, I don't know what it's supposed to look like. Um, there are some things that's going to be valuable for, but for many recipes, it's not. And it does just take, it takes that extra time to watch the video. And then it's like, I have to pause the video, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, I'm doing this step and then I try to pause the video to read the ingredients to do that step and then back to the video. And then like, it's like way too complicated. So. Yeah. It's way easier just to go down to the recipe card if, if you're just looking for a recipe. Yeah. And then just like, hope it works. You yeah. Know? <laughs> and if it doesn't, you can go back and watch the video. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I mean, most recipes and if you write the recipe, if the recipe is written well and the instructions are written well, like people should be able to make the recipe without a video for almost everything, right? Yes. So the images and photos section of your report was really interesting. So talk to us about what people are wanting with photos. So honestly, like this is one of my pet peeves. <laughs> I think this is like, was a lot of my catalyst for even doing this whole thing because I'm like, most food bloggers put too many images or photos on their blog post. It sort of drives me nuts. Yeah, I kind of so, agree with you. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so I asked, how many images of the finished dish do you feel like is helpful for you to see? And I gave several answers, but the one with 86% was one to two. I just need the basics to show what it should look like when it's done. So yeah, that's a lot. Almost everybody says, I only need one or two of the finished dish. I think a lot of food bloggers, especially because they get really into photography, want to show all of their different shots, which... Um, I know. I'm with you on that. I think one to two is plenty. Two is plenty. And even me as a food blogger myself, when I go to other blogs and I'm like, oh my goodness, <laughs> there's lots and lots of photos. And I get it because if you are really into photography and you think you nailed this angle and this lighting, you want to kind of capture all of that and put it up. Totally understand that. But you do have to think about the user and the user probably does not really care about like all of the angles and lighting. Like you mentioned, they just want to go to see one to two final basic shots about like what it describing what it looks like when it's done. So what about process shots? What do they feel about that? Yeah. And this one, I wasn't quite sure what people would say. I said, I asked, do you feel like photos showing each step of the cooking or baking process are helpful? And a quarter, 25% is selected. No, I usually have it all down. Another two thirds said that it can be helpful. And then 65% said it's helpful depending on the recipe. So again, kind of like we've been talking about, I think you don't need process shots for everything. It really depends on the, on the recipe. And then if you, I didn't ask it here, but if you do process shots, putting them together in some sort of collage, so it's not then just like 25 separate images. Um, so putting them together in some sort of collage would be a best practice for doing that. You know, I, I think even one or two or just, I, I know it's hard to take photos like as you're making it too, <laughs> which is why people don't always do that, which is, I think is fine for most recipes. I don't, you know, like it kind of says here, people don't necessarily want or need process shots either. So unless like you mentioned in your report, unless it 
is helpful. Like if there's a recipe for, you mentioned sourdough bread, I have no idea how to make sourdough bread. So I might want to see a few pictures along the way about how to do the starter or whatever that's called. So I mean, just for a basic like I don't know, a casserole. Do you really need to show the layers of noodles and meat because people can really easily read through and figure that out usually? So I think it's just depending on the recipe. (laughs) Yeah, probably not. Or, I mean, sometimes I think you could also do a process shot at the end, like right before like a casserole goes in the oven or something, right? So people, I mean, casseroles look basically the same. So that's not the best (laughs) example. But, you know, like there are some things that maybe you could take a shot just before you cook it or bake it so people can kind of see how it looks then. And, you know, but you got to think about, I think the thing is, it's just not one size fits all for every recipe all of the time, which is what I think a lot of food bloggers feel like, especially with SEO and they have to do these things and there's this set, you know, formula that you have to follow every time. Yeah, or like I'm trying to come up with more content so I can have a longer word count so I'll do better with SEO. And it's like, I mean, word count technically doesn't matter for SEO. And then also like it's about your users and what they want and what the recipe, like what's going to help them the most about the recipe you're creating for them. Um, yeah, agreed. I think this is giving us a different perspective about just not seeing every single post and recipe as a formula like we have been for so long and just like taking it case by case and figuring out it's like looking at it at each post as an individual like what do you need what what does the user need from you what do you need from me so that doesn't make it easy it makes it harder and it forces us to use that kind of feeling that we've been talking about but I think that's really important So what about the last point we have here is what did your respondent say about writing and blog style? Yes. So I asked when visiting a blog or webpage for a recipe, what style do you prefer? And then I gave them two options. One had a little narration, but not too much. And the other was just the facts. So 75, well, 74% selected just the facts and then... 26% said a little narration or story is okay. Um, I don't know if you were surprised by this, Megan, but I wasn't too much uh, because I I think that people do like some story or narration to go along with it, even though, you know, they said, I want just the recipe. But it's like, if you're good at writing, if you're good at doing that type of writing, especially about food, then people are going to be willing to read it if that's your thing. And what we were just talking about too, I was thinking like all of this depends, like you can figure out what you're specifically good at and what your niche is within this. Like maybe you are the person who writes stories about your food because you are a creative writer and that's what you do and that's how you see food and that's fine for you. Um, I don't think everyone fits into that box, right? And like, You could decide that you're the person who does really in-depth tutorials and that's your thing. And that could be your thing for every recipe, right? Or maybe like your thing is like making your blog is more just general, you know, kind of easy food for everybody. So that's your thing. And so then you kind of do get in the position where you're like, well, what is going to be the most helpful for this recipe so that my audience is going to be able to make this, right? 
Yeah. So yeah. So figuring out what your thing is is really important. If narration is a part of your thing, then of course add it in. If it's not, then don't. But I think we all figure that out as we get into it a little bit more. I have a thing. I do like I always start off with at least one to two sentences about why I'm making this recipe or what I love about it or what makes it sing to me. You know, like something that really connects me with the recipe. Always. Every single post has that aside from maybe the really ancient ones. And I don't want to talk about those, but <laughs> um, but that's just my thing. And then I go into it right away. Like here's the meat of the post. And some people do it totally differently. Some people up front are like, instant pot mashed potatoes and they get right into it and that's fine too I think just figuring out what that is but I liked your part of the report that said a little narration or story to go along with the recipe but don't overdo it (laughs) yeah because we can I mean we I used to do that all the time I think a lot of us did and we're like oh on and on and on and that's what really started annoying people well yeah and I think it does need to connect to the recipe because I mean it's just evolved over time right Because now a lot of those stories and more personal stories you see on social media, especially something like Instagram stories, a lot of food bloggers are sharing more of their personal stuff there. That's more where like users expect it to be. They don't really want it in the recipe, in the blog post now. I think they do want that connection, but it's just moved to a different place. Yeah, it's like blogs had babies, like they split up, they were multiplied. (laughs) Now it's a blog and then the different platforms. It's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, because it is like people do want all these different components, but it is just fractured out now um, to write that people are going to your blog likely just for the recipe. But if people follow you on social, they're likely going there to see more of your personal life or to see something entertaining or to see where 15, 20 years ago, that was typically all in the blog post. Right, exactly. Totally agree. So to kind of wrap up, what is the overall feeling about online recipes? Yeah. So I asked overall, how would you describe your experience with finding cooking or baking helps or recipes online? And overwhelmingly, people were saying that it's great. It's good. Positive comments. Um, Someone said mostly beneficial and pleasing (laughs) with the occasional dud. (laughs) So I, (laughs) I feel like that. You know, people have their frustrations, but obviously they keep coming back to it. So it's working enough that people find it very beneficial. That's the best line and, ever. Mostly beneficial yeah. and pleasing with the occasional dud. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's good, though, that it's mostly great, good and positive. That's really good for yeah. us that people have that <laughs> kind of like mostly good notion about us. Yeah, so don't, I mean, it's kind of funny because you get these very, like, opposite answers. You know, people are like, oh, they're so hard to use. But I use them all the time because they're convenient. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, well, so I think, yeah, just food bloggers are working increasingly to kind of take out some of that stuff that maybe makes it a little bit harder. But overall, you know, I think people are delivering what others are wanting. Yeah, or people are clearly using food blogs. Yes, obviously. Yeah, I do think that even though I asked if people have heard the term food blog, I do think a lot of people don't realize kind of what all food bloggers put into it. I've had some of those conversations. Now they say I work with a food blogger and I'm sure as a food blogger, (laughs) people are like, wait, what do you do? Um, 
So I think just sort of keep that in mind too. Like people aren't, when they say they want to find just a recipe or something, they don't realize like if they click to your recipe from Google that you're a food blogger as opposed to all recipes or something. Like there's no really way for them to know that to start with. Um, That's a good point too. Because I've heard comments, people say, well, if you want just the recipe, just go to all recipes or just go wherever. And it's like, well, if they just search in Google, like they don't, they don't, they know, don't know how to differentiate that. <laughs> They're like, well, okay, right? I'll go to all recipes. Why? How are you different? <laughs> yeah. Like unless they literally type in that URL and go there, which people don't they go to Google and they're just going to click on whatever some of the top recipes are. And so, yeah, that makes sense. Well, I think your report is amazing. I'm so glad that you did this. I think it's going to be helpful for a lot of people. I know it is for me. I'm going to use it as a resource. You spelled out uh, bullet points under each section, like what people are looking for. And I just like looking at those bullet points that just, you know, keeping those in my mind as I create So we will include this in Bethany's show notes. And she's been on the show three times now. So you have a different show notes from before. So you can find everything that we've talked about today at eatblogtalk.com forward slash Bethany Smith three. And can people reach out to you, Bethany, if they have questions or and how do they do that if so? Yes. So my website is foodblogusability.com. That'll be linked clearly. Um, you can find me on Instagram. I'm most active on there, which is at Kadia Marketing, which is C-A-D-I-A Marketing. That's my, I don't know. <laughs> I need to work on getting everything tied in here. <laughs> but um, that is my like web design business. And then you can email me at Bethany at KDMarketing.com. But like I mentioned at the start of this, um, I will have this report available. If you go to my website, you'll be able to sign up to receive it there. And then I'll be talking about it on Instagram too and putting out some some info there also. Awesome. And definitely scroll to the appendix section because I just <laughs> thought that was so revealing and kind of funny so be sure to check that out (laughs) because the appendix are the open-ended answers to just what people typed in so yeah Yeah, that's very funny um but very awesome so thank you bethany for being here i really appreciate you sharing everything that you did today so thanks and it was good to talk to you for the third time on eblog talk Yes, you're welcome. All right. Well, Bethany shared where you can find her online. So go check all of that stuff out. And thank you for being here, Bethany. And thank you for listening today, food bloggers. I will see you next time. We're glad you could join us on this episode of Eat Blog Talk. For more resources based on today's discussion, as well as show notes and an opportunity to be on a future episode of the show, be sure to head to eatblogtalk.com. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll be here to feed you on Eat Blog Talk.